in the book of 1 Samuel. If this is your first time with us, we are walking through the Old Testament book, 1 Samuel, and the theme is Jesus is King. Uh, You will notice very quickly that nowhere in 1 Samuel is the name of Jesus mentioned, but the whole theme of 1 Samuel is that the people, God's chosen people, Israel, wanted a king. And God gave them a king, but he is not about to relinquish control of their lives. He is the ultimate king. He uh, cannot be usurped as king. And we have the choice whether we're going to do our own thing in life or whether we're going to follow Jesus as our king. So tonight, the theme for 1 Samuel chapter 14. Now, this is a super long chapter, and so we're going to cut it in half and just cover the first 23 verses tonight. The theme is leading with faith. Whenever you meet somebody, uh, you always lead with something, right? If you're in college, you know what it's like. You've got a few questions that you can ask someone, no matter who they are or what they look like or what their background is. You know if they're a certain age, you can you can say, so what, what brought you to town or what, uh, what school do you go to? What's your major? How long have you been there? Like you've got lead off questions. And as believers, we want to lead off with faith. We want people to look at our lives from two feet away or a hundred miles away and say, man, I see God all over that. I see, um, I see that person walking in faith. And so leading by faith um, is the topic. And Saul and Jonathan are the two main characters. Saul, of course, is the king the first king over the monarchy that is Israel. And his son, Jonathan, as we saw in last chapter, he's got some capabilities as as a leader. Now, chapter 14 is all about the contrasting styles in their leadership. And you're going to be tempted as you see Saul's behavior to think, well, he's just not even leading. Like he's sitting in this cave. He's just doing his own thing. He's not leading at all, but he is leading. He's leading with fear. He's leading with insecurity. He's leading with a lack of trust in God's power, and he's being overwhelmed by his circumstances. I wonder how many of us, uh, (laughs) from a bird's eye view, that's what our lives look like. We're we're leading by something, but it's insecurities, it's a lack of faith. Certainly there'll be fruit from that, and it won't be pleasant. And Jonathan, on the other hand, he leads in this amazing, awesome story about God's power. He leads against all odds, him and his armor bearer. They go up against thousands of Philistines, and they beat him up, and God shows his power in a mighty way, and he leads with faith, and he leads with uh, thinking that God and his promises are bigger than any of my circumstances. And so we're going to see what that looks like tonight. How many of y'all, a few... A few uh, Weeks ago, even, I'm sure you could see it now, after the tornado that went across I-70, how many of you have seen the damage of that? Like, if you're driving on I-70 and you're not even aware of the tornado, you, you still probably see it. The trees are all tore up around Abilene, Chapman area, and it is, it is a mess. Or like Dodge City, the one that went through there, you saw the aerial view where like the swirling through the fields, awesome um, shot of it. You see, unmistakably, trail of power. I mean, I hope that by the end of our lives, I hope that by the end of this night, uh, when the world, when your family, when your friends look at your lives, um, they see an unmistakable trail of God's power. You look at all the martyrs throughout church history. You look at those who leave the biggest spiritual legacies. It's not how gifted they were. It's not how amazing they were as a family man or talented or the best job. It is 
people who walked by faith, believing my life's goal is to give God glory, and I'm going to put myself, by following him, I'm going to put myself in places that he's got to show up. This isn't me just doing my own thing, believing he wants me to walk in such a way, according to his will, that he's got to show up. And when he does, the world's going to glorify him. They're going to know this wasn't man, this was God. So as we walk through this, I want you to ask yourself, what am I leading with? Am I leading with fear? Am I leading with faith? What am I leading with? So jumping in, chapter 14, verses 1 and 2. And there's a lot of context to this, so I'll probably just stop as we go through uh, and, and explain the context a little bit. Chapter one, excuse me, chapter 14, verse 1. Now one day, Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man who carried his armor, Come, let us go over to the Philistine garrison on the other side. So garrison is just uh, the, the place where the army met. We don't know if there's hundreds or thousands, but we assume there's quite a bit. But he did not tell his father. And Saul was staying in the outskirts of Gibeah in the pomegranate cave at Migron. And the people who were with him were about 600 men. So we know the including Philistines had a lot more. Otherwise, Saul would have already fought the battle. Including Ahijah, the son of Ahatub, Ichabod's brother, son of Phinehas, son of Eli, the priest of the Lord in Shiloh. Remember, 1 Samuel kicked off with Eli and his wicked sons. Wearing an ephod. And the people did not know that Jonathan had gone. Within the passes by which Jonathan sought to go over to the Philistine garrison, there was a rocky crag on the one side and a rocky crag on the other side. And the name of the one was Bozes, and the name of the other was Seneh. And the one crag rose on the north in front of Michmash, and the other on the south in front of Geba. All right, first thing we see is that godly leaders, and we're all leaders, if we're disciple makers, we're leaders in some capacity. Godly leaders risk everything. So here's the picture being painted right now. You've got Saul and 600 dudes hanging out in this pomegranate cave area. Now, back in Judges, it, it became a common theme for the leaders, since they didn't have a temple, they didn't have a beautiful building to be in, the leaders, the government, would just meet outside. And so Saul, he's got some guys in place. He's got the grandson of Eli hanging out um, with his ephod, doing the, the priestly stuff. He's got 600 guys with him. And Jonathan's sitting there saying, man, why are we sitting in a cave? we got to do something. Now, it looks like insubordination to his dad, because remember, Saul's king, but Jonathan takes off, and no one knows that he, he's leaving. In this case, it actually works out to be a good thing. So insubordination, usually a bad thing. In this case, God blesses it, because he's trying to show the difference between leading by fear and leading with faith in him. And so you've got uh, this group of 600, and Saul sitting in the cave, and Jonathan takes off. And it's like something out of Lord of the Rings. There's a rocky crag to the left and a rocky crag to the right, and they're going up this place, seems like above the tree line, and, and they can't go to the left, they can't go to the right. They are on a narrow path headed towards the Philistine garrison. Now, we'll find out soon when they battle, but they are literally, from a, a strategic point, like in the worst place possible. They're going to actually have to climb up. They're going to get on their hands and feet and have to climb up to the, the, the soldiers if they're going to fight them. Bad, bad position, but he's taking that step of faith. So Saul, Jonathan, one plays it safe, sits in the cave, 
and one risks everything. Why is it so crucial for believers to walk by faith? Like, why didn't God just reveal everything to us and make this just so much of a guarantee that we just, we don't have to walk by faith. We can just be rational, reasonable in our decisions. Because when you walk by faith, it's putting yourself in that place where God has to get the glory. God's power has got to show up. That's the way God designed it. He desires to fill his whole earth with his glory, to show his power through our lives. That's why, that's why we could preach all day long and say, guys, let's do something for the gospel. That's not just us wanting to build a big church. That's us saying, you cannot be a believer and live a status quo life. You've got to get uncomfortable. It's the very nature of the faith. It is the design that God says, I want you, <laughs> I want you to go out on a limb. And so Saul, you see him, I'm going to challenge those of you who've been in ministry for a while, you see Saul sitting back and playing it safe. How many of us, after a few years following Jesus, making disciples, maybe we get a title to our name, maybe we get paid to do ministry, how many of us sit back and instead of being leaders, now we're just managers? We, we live more not to fail than to succeed. We don't want to screw it up. God's saying, I didn't, I didn't make you a leader so that you could play it safe. On the other side, you got Jonathan. Jonathan's like, let's do something. Let's go somewhere. Some of you young folks, you know what I'm talking about. You got that heartbeat where you're just like, okay, come on. Please, for the kingdom of God, Cross Point Church, do something. Get out. Like, let's be part of something bigger than ourselves. Like, you ever feel that way? I think every young person, and I'm not talking just age, I'm talking in the faith. When you start to realize, man, God's got a plan. He wants me to be a disciple maker. He wants me to be a part of something bigger. Like you start to get riled up inside and you start to see the institution that is the church and you start to kind of want to just break out of it and just see God use you in a powerful way. There's that aha moment. That moment where you're like, I can't just think about this anymore. I got to really step out in faith. I hope some of you have that tonight. I've had many of those aha moments. But that's who God wants leading his church. I'll, I'll use just an illustration with James, and yes, I asked him if I could use this one. Uh, just his, his even being here as a worship leader. Uh, many of you guys know his story. Uh, a young dude who um, had led worship a little bit in a few different areas, but never for three, 400 people like he is at Crosspoint. And he's part of a little church in Long Island, and he connects with Jason, our old worship leader, over the internet, and he's being discipled by him. Um, but he was willing to go do whatever God asked him to do, even if it was to come here for an unpaid internship, which is why he moved to Salina, thinking he would be in an unpaid internship. Now, we didn't know, and God, in his sovereignty, brought James here, and then Jason was called out, and we were blessing Jason and thankful for his service. But we had to decide, who in the world are we going to have as our next worship leader? By the time we had to choose that, we as a church, let's just be honest, we, we had grown to the point where we need someone pretty experienced, someone who could not lead 300 people, but lead 600, because we're growing rapidly. And so on paper, <laughs> when we're looking at the resumes, me and a few other guys, we're looking at resumes, and we got James over here, who we've worked with for a couple months. We're like, oh, we love the young pup. But on paper, it doesn't look good. Let's be honest. <laughs> I love you, James, but it, it does not look good. He wouldn't, make, um, he wouldn't make the top 10. He wouldn't make the top 20. He probably wouldn't even make the top 50 if you were just looking on paper. He literally had no legitimate experience leading worship for this many people. We had guys from my alma mater at Liberty. 
We had guys leading uh, hundreds of people in worship applying for the position. But everyone in the room knew kind of from the beginning how this was going to go. Because we'd worked with James a little bit for a couple months. His resume was his weekly <laughs> leading of worship in the interim. And we knew we could take a chance on some of these other guys, knowing they'd been in ministry a little bit. But they might also have some entitlement. Or we could take the guy who we know is called, because he's, he's, he's willing to get up and move, unpaid, leaving a good job in New York, leaving family. He's got no reason to be out here. He just wants to do what God asks him to do. He's called. He's gifted. He's used to walking by faith. How are you going to tell someone to walk by faith if you don't walk by faith? And he's teachable. I'll tell you what, that's who God's looking for. To us, it was really a no-brainer. We'll take the guy who's got those four things over the guy who's got experience, but they're entitled and they're just ready to coast. There's no coasting in Christianity because God's kingdom is to be expanded. And that means you've got to have people walking by faith. You've got to have people walking by faith. What, 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 makes, what makes a Jonathan? You ever wonder, like, what makes someone say, I want to do something crazy for God's sake, for his glory? Man, I think uh, the Jonathans of the world come about because they love God and his kingdom and disciple-making more than they love their own lives. you got to get to that place, don't you? You could be an up-and-coming young leader. You don't get to the place. If you do not get to the place where you love God's kingdom more than your own life, you will not be fit for ministry. Because you will be sinned against. You will be unappreciated. You will be beat up. Jesus promises there's haters. There's going to be steps along the way where you fall on your face. And if you don't have the desire in your heart to just give God your entire life, you will be highly disappointed by the calling. What do you guys love? What do you love more than God's kingdom right now? This week, today? Your own comfort, your own safety, your own security? What do you love more than his kingdom? I don't know what Jonathan's background was with seeing God's power, but you got to think what Saul and his son Jonathan saw was probably about the same stuff. Matter of fact, you could argue just from what we know biblically, Saul saw more of God's power than Jonathan. Remember all those signs Saul got to be king? This is where we could have a, groom, a room full of people. It's like, y'all, and some of you can hear the same message and nothing happens, while others hear the same message and their lives are changed forever. Because there's a huge difference between knowledge and revelation. Saul and Jonathan probably had about the same knowledge of God. They saw God work. They hear about God. But one of them is going to risk everything. It's not about just hearing the gospel. It's about having revelation. You see, knowledge, when you hear the good news of Jesus Christ, knowledge will hit you cognitively. You'll start to understand it in your mind. But revelation is a spiritual act of God where he opens your spiritual eyes, your spiritual ears, and your heart. And he rocks you to your soul saying, what you've heard is not something you can just think about. You have to lay down your life for this. It's that amazing. 
church needs more revelation. Verse 6. Jonathan said to the young man who carried his armor, Come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised, so the Gentiles, the people who are not God's chosen people. That's what uncircumcised means. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few. Remember that, we'll come back to that part. And his armor bearer said to him, Do all that is in your heart, do as you wish. Behold, I am with you, heart and soul. The Hebrew is literally, as your heart is in you, I am with you. As your heart is in you, I am with you. Like so much so connected that I am not going to leave you under any circumstances. Like we're, we're going to die together. What kind of like what kind of flimsy decision making does this seem on Jonathan's part? Like, hey, who knows? Like it's easy for us just to hear this and be like, well, yeah, sounds about right. But he's saying, who knows? Maybe God will work for us. Because who's going to hinder God from saving us, whether there's a bunch on the other side or just a few? Like, God's going to do what God wants to do, and we're just going to walk in faith. We're just going to walk in faith. But keep in mind, his life is at risk. Like, it's not even at risk. It's almost a guarantee, just rationally, that he's going to die if God doesn't show up. That's not, that's not us going across the street saying, I should go get to know my neighbor, maybe invite him to a barbecue, but I, oh, I'm kind of scared because what if they say no? Like, oh, my reputation's messed up. Like, it's not that kind of step of faith. It's, I will die today. I will die today for the glory of God if God does not show up. Second thing we see when it comes to leading with faith is that godly leaders find their confidence in God's promises. You see, when Jonathan says, it may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few. He's not just getting that from nothing, okay? They've got scripture. He's got Deuteronomy chapter 20 and Deuteronomy 28. Let me read for you. This is what he knows in his mind. Like, he, he knows this stuff. In Deuteronomy 20, it says this, verse 1. When you go out to war against your enemies and see horses and chariots and an army larger than your own, you shall not be afraid, for the Lord your God is with you. Like, this is what Jonathan has seen, and he's thinking, I remember God's word. I'm going to stand on that. That's a promise. That's a promise. In verse 28, in Verse, in chapter 28 of Deuteronomy, verse 7, it says, The Lord will cause your enemies who rise against you to be defeated before you. They shall come out against you one way and flee before you seven ways. Like, he knows this. This is why you can walk in faith. You don't just walk in faith randomly. You walk in faith on the promises of God. That's why, and I say it every time we talk about faith. This isn't just, hey, add a little faith onto your plan for your own life and God will bless it. That's a horrible kind of faith. That's a faith that leads to death. But the faith that leads to life is where you're saying, I'm going to align with God's plan, his will, no matter what that costs me. You see, you and I, we got promises. We can stand on promises, can't we? You think about promises we have in the New Testament. To where you know I can be sure, if I'm going to give my life for God's sake, I can stand on stuff. You know the famous ones, right? You know uh, Romans 8, 31, and then the following verses. And if God is for us, who can be against us? What can separate us from the love of God? What can separate us? Nor heights, nor depth, nor angels, nor powers, the rulers, principality. Like nothing can separate us from the love of God. You got the good news of the gospel. 
what Jesus has done for you, what he's doing in you, what he's got in store for our future. Nothing can separate you from the beautiful promises of Jesus. And so you can risk everything, right? But your confidence in it comes knowing it's worth it. Matthew 28, he tells us to go make disciples, but there's a promise at the end of that, right? And surely I will be with you till the very end of the age. You want the presence of God? You, you go make disciples. You got a promise. Like God's saying, I'm with the disciple makers. You don't see a bunch of people sitting in pews who are just like, you know, I'm coasting. And then you ask them, so you're coasting? You've been coasting for a while? You don't really walk by faith anymore? You're coasting? Man, tell me what God's been doing in your life lately. They don't generally say, amazing stuff. Like, I'm on fire. This is good. No, they're just kind of like, well, I guess kind of. Ho-hum. Why? They don't experience God's presence overwhelming them. Does it mean they're not saved? No, not necessarily. But you want to see God's presence blow you away? Of course, you see in 2 Timothy 1.7, God promises the spirit he gave us is not one of fear, not one of timidity. It's one of what? Power. These are promises. These are promises. You see, many of us, let's be honest, we claim Christ, but we lead out of insecurity. We leave out of fear. We, we lead in it. Like, if someone, if, if your friends this week were going to just sum up their conversations with you, how many of them would say, ah, yeah, I talked to them, but they just got drama. Their, their circumstances are overwhelming them. They're talking about how, how, they're not going to go left because what if this happens? And they don't want to go right because what if this happens? And they're just downtrodden. Like, how many of your friends, that would be their testimony of talking to you on a regular basis? See, you're leading. You're just leading out of insecurities, out of fears. How many of us let the what-ifs of life control us, just rule us? Well, what if this? What if? Let's talk about the what-ifs. When it comes to God's will for your life, what if? What if you fail? What if you take a big step of faith? You know he's asking you to do this. It might be in a relationship. might be moving to another city. might be reaching a new people group. might be taking on more responsibility. It could be whatever, but you know he's asking you to do it. What if you fail? Well, guess what? When it comes to faith, <laughs> you can't succeed any more than when he says go and you say yes. That's success. There's no failure. We don't, we don't, we're not defined by the world's view of failure anymore. Well, what if, what if my family and friends, like, what if, what if they're just not okay with the decisions God has for me? Jesus said there's going to be haters, and sometimes it's those closest to you. Can I get an amen? No, I mean, let's be honest. Sometimes it's that way. Your family might be wonderful, but your family's not God. Your family's not God. You say, what if, what if I die? Like, I, in my mind, like I'm, I'm preaching here. I'm at cross point. Man, it's good. I love being here. But I, I think about things, maybe too much. I got to think sometimes, like, what if God asks me, knowing how the world is going, knowing I want to be charging the gates of hell, <laughs> that's the way I want to be going out. And right now, he's having us in that Salina, Kansas. I hope we stay the rest of our lives here. I hope we do. We're prepared to. But what if he, what if he calls me and Tara and Silas to go, Spread the gospel in the Middle East. What if he says, get up and go? And literally, that decision, I'm going to have to decide. Like, am I willing to die in a hostile world by saying yes? You know what? I hope I say yes on that day if it ever comes. 
But <laughs> what if you die? Jesus said, don't worry about those who can kill you. Worry about those who can determine where your soul goes. And that's God. I'll tell you what, you can, you can, <laughs> you're going to go one way or another. You're going to leave this earth. You can either enter heaven's gate saying, I walked by faith to my death for the glory of God, or you're going to say, you know what? I tried to hold out on earth as long as I could, <laughs> and I, I, I sat in fear and comfort and security on earth. You're going to have to answer God for whatever you chose. I say go out in a blaze of glory, <laughs> even if it means it ends 30 years sooner than you, you thought. Do something big. Do something big. Verse 8, and then Jonathan said, behold, we will cross over to the men. So this is where the story gets kind of weird, and it doesn't make sense. And we will show ourselves to them. I don't know if you guys are familiar with military strategy or not, but this isn't a good, this isn't a good plan. If they say to us, wait until we come to you, so there's a big rock cliff, there's something they're going to have to climb, they can't just get to them, wait till we come to you, then we will stand still in our place and we will not go up to them. But if they say, come up to us, then we will go up. For the Lord has given them into our hand. Keep in mind, <laughs> he's saying, literally, if we have to get on our hands and knees and climb up to them, making ourselves as vulnerable as you possibly can, we'll know that's when God's going to move. And this shall be a sign to us. So both of them showed themselves to the garrison of the Philistines. And the Philistines said, Look, Hebrews are coming out of their holes where they have hidden themselves, so that they're mocking them. And the men of the garrison hailed Jonathan and his armor bearer and said, Come up to us and we will show you a thing. Your translation may say something along the lines of, We will teach you a lesson. There was a harmful intention in this. Like, come on over to us. We're going to beat you up, you little punks. Then Jonathan, excuse me, will show you a thing. And Jonathan said to his armor bearer, come up after me, for the Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. Then Jonathan climbed up on his hands and feet and his armor bearer after him. So now they're climbing up this thing. And they fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer killed them after him. And that first strike, which Jonathan and his armor bearer made, killed about 20 men within, within, as it were, half a furrow's length in an acre, or as much of an, as an ox could plow in a day's length uh, within an acre, so about half an acre. And there was a panic in the camp, in the field, and among all the people. And the garrison and even the raiders trembled, the earth quaked, and it became a very great panic. Good stuff. Third thing we see, godly leaders, if you're going to lead by faith, is you got to seek God in the going. you got to seek God in the going. So, plan is crazy. And basically, as I said earlier, Jonathan's saying, here's what we know. We're going to put ourselves in the worst possible circumstance where death is guaranteed. Like, it, it can't get any worse. We're going, to make our, we're going to show ourselves, and we're going to climb up to them, and they're going to be standing above us. They could kill us like this. 
And if that's what they want, we'll know. We're going to kill them. God's going to win this war. And so they do it. They do it. Thinking God is going to show up. You see, there's a difference between having faith and acting in faith. Many of us have faith, but we don't act in faith. And there's a difference between acting in faith and walking by faith. Scripture says that the righteous will walk by faith. A lot of people have faith. Some people take a step of faith. But then some walk by faith. What's the difference between acting by faith and walking by faith? Acting by faith is when Jonathan says, you know what? We're leaving camp. No one knows we're going to leave. And we're just going to go and we're going to do this. And he just does it. Walking by faith is saying, we're going to leave camp. No one knows we're going to leave, but we're going to walk by faith. We're going to do this. And then he stops along the way and says, okay, let's seek God's will in the details. Okay, now we're walking. Are we going left or are we going right? Some of us have made the jump from sitting in the pew and just having faith, saying, I believe something. I believe something. To acting by faith. And so you can look at the mile markers of your life and say, okay, uh, there's been some times where I've definitively taken a step of faith in the direction of God's will for me. But what makes us stumble is when we don't walk by faith. Meaning, we, we take the step of faith, and then we take the reins. Say, okay, God said this direction, see ya. And we go that direction. But God's designed this thing this relationship with him, to where we can't look at God as Lord and just view him as a taskmaster. Because you know that's the temptation, right? God, you just, you just tell me what to do, and I'll, I'll do it. And so, God, I came I'm, at the beginning of the day. You tell me what you want me to do, and now I'm going to go, and I'm going to do it. And then I'll come back to you tomorrow, and you tell me what to do. No, he's saying, I, I didn't make myself Lord over you so that I could just tell you what to do. And this could be a hollow relationship. I, I'm going to command you, but my commands always lead to communion. Does that make sense? My commands always lead to communion. Because my commands are going to make you step in an area that is unstable. You're going to be scared a little bit. You're going to have to depend on me. My commands are going to make you have to turn around and say, okay, I did that. Now, I could go do my own thing some more, but I, I need to hear the next step from you. God commands so that we commune. He always has the intent to not only use your life, but have an intimate, personal relationship that's deeper and deeper and deeper all the time. That's the beauty that's why you can't have a deep, intimate relationship with the Lord without obedience. But if you want to be obedient to the Lord, you're going to be disappointed um, to find out at the end you might not have been as obedient as you thought if you're not growing in intimacy with Him. Because I can tell you this, you start down the trail of ministry and people take from you, and, and, and they beat you up, and you're going to be just drooling <laughs> for the presence of God. You're going to say, I need God. I can't do this. I'm the pastor of this church. 
I'm leading this collegiate ministry. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to make disciples at work. Like I, every step I take, I find myself so hungry for the presence of God in my life because I can't take another step without some empowerment from the Holy Spirit. And so the two go hand in hand. If you're going to be effective as a disciple maker, you're going to be one who loves the presence of God, who needs the presence of God. Because you just can't go, you can't go without it. You can't go without it. You see, if Jonathan would have just acted by faith but not walked by faith, he would have got all the way through this thing to the very point of facing the enemy and he would have missed the victory if he would have just done his own thing and not asked God's direction in the detail. It's crucial for the story. It's crucial. We, um, as you guys know, numerically we're growing pretty quick. And so uh, we've talked about in the last year getting into a new building. And just so you know, this isn't any kind of crazy inside information. We're still a long way away from that. But we've looked at some buildings. We've got a small team that is, is praying about it. And honestly, there was one building, uh, there still is one building that seemed to just separate itself from the others. And on one hand, it's like, man, financially, I'm not sure how this is going to happen. But I feel pretty comfortable with where the price was or where it seemed to be. And, and, and we'll just, we'll just kind of walk in that way. Prayed about it at first, but I'll be honest, not praying a ton about it. Knew at the beginning it was going to take it was going to take an act to God. <laughs> it was going to take it was going to take some faith on our part. But then you start to get comfortable with the idea. And this week we got um, we got news that the price of the building, being a little over a million dollars, went up several hundred thousand dollars, just kind of out of the blue. Out of the blue. Owners started to think, well, maybe it's worth more than we, we thought. There's no real comps in the area, whatnot. And I remember I got that phone call, and, and I, I talked to the realtor. I said, man, it doesn't sound like they're, they're interested in selling. Yet, I'm looking back at my prayers and thinking, I'm, I feel like God's saying, move in this direction. And so I think, why in the world would the price go up so far? And I'll tell you what, it didn't take long as I started talking to God about that, that he was trying to tell me two things. Number one, Ryan, you can't coast through this. You, you got to seek me. You got to come back. And number two, I am dead serious when I say it is going to take faith. You got comfortable with it earlier. It's going to take faith. And, and you could look at us from the outside. You could say, Crossbone Church, we're, we must be walking by faith. We mu there must be something going on because, man, people are growing. Good things are happening. <laughs> I had to remind myself because I started to get kind of scared. Like, man, there ain't no way we can afford that building right now. Maybe we should just call it off. But I'm going to keep walking in this direction. I think the team is going to keep walking in this direction because I, I was reminded by God. We were, just five years ago, a little ragtag group, group of <laughs> 30, 40 people who were meeting at Webster Conference Center. We didn't have more than a couple dimes to our name. We're thinking, how could we even afford to pay uh, a part-time pastor, much less get into a building? Like, when you start thinking real estate, there's no place for us to meet. Like, it costs thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars to, to get any kind of rental, much less buy something. And God provided this building for free. This building that we complain because the AC units don't work that great. This building that we complain because it doesn't hold our 16 worship services that we desire to have. This building that seems like <laughs> it's not that great anymore was one time the promised land in our eyes. It was one time the provision of God that came out of nowhere 
that we were like, this is the biggest act of God. Like it took faith. And then God just provided. And he's saying, listen, you were sitting there hoping for something, and I provided. I'm not going to keep walking you through just to say, hey, faith isn't what you need anymore. We're just going to have the same thing. No, you take one step of faith for a smaller step. No, for a bigger step of faith. You always take a bigger step because faith is always going to be faith. Faith's never going to be comfortable. Faith will always, by nature, be uncomfortable. So it can't fit inside our box of what faith was five years ago. Faith five years ago isn't faith today. Faith five years ago is now evidence of God's provision, and it's going to require a bigger step of faith. Some of you took faith steps in ministry in life, and they were stories. They were God stories. They're still God stories. But are you aware that even this week, he's got a bigger step for you, a bigger step than what you had been testifying two years ago? When you don't realize there's a bigger step right in front of you, you'll glory in the testimony steps and you'll stop moving altogether. And the testimony is still beautiful, but it starts to fade. Man, we don't want to be a church of fading testimonies. We, we, want, we want testimonies that are growing. But you've got to be walking by faith. Last but not least, Verse 26, so now we haven't seen much of Saul up until now. Jonathan, he's been doing his thing, and now Saul, he's about to come out of the cave. And it says, And the watchmen of Saul in Gibeah of Benjamin looked, and behold, the multitude was dispersing here and there. Then Saul said to the people who were with him, Count and see who has gone from us. And when they had counted, behold, Jonathan and his armor bearer were not there. You know, this has got to be hard for Saul. Because not only has he seen his own flaws based on how he sees his son being completely opposite of him, walking by faith, the guy who's about to take over, David, and his son Jonathan have a lot in common. Like it, it, It's got to be gut-wrenching for Saul. He's thinking, where did my son go? So Saul said to Ahijah, this is the grandson of Eli, the priest. He's the one wearing the priestly clothes. And he says, bring the ark of God here. For the ark of God went at that time with the people of Israel. Back in Deuteronomy chapter 28, uh, verses 4 and 5, it says after the whole go out to war and God will um, he'll be bigger than your enemies, he'll take care of things for you, it says that you always must get the priest before you go, and he's going to address the people. He's going to say, don't be afraid, and then they're going to take the ark of the covenant into the battle. This was how Israel fought battles. Saul, as spiritually weird as he is, is actually following what God said. It's like, finally, he's going to be obedient. Eh, wrong. Now, while Saul was talking to the priest, the tumult in the camp of the Philistines increased more and more. So Saul said to the priest, withdraw your hand. Then Saul and all the people who were with him rallied and went into battle. And behold, every Philistine sword was against his fellow, and there was very great confusion. Now, the Hebrews who had been with the Philistines before that time and who had gone up with them into the camp, even, even they also turned to be with the Israelites who were with Saul and Jonathan. In other words, uh, there were a small group of Israelites, because many had left Israel and gone into the Philistines. They were wearing Philistines' clothes, and they started to fight against the Philistines. They're like, oh, look at Jonathan, he's killing people. And the Philistines start scattering. So then the, Isra the Hebrews, who were willing, wearing Philistine 
there and close, start killing the Philistines. So Philistines are thinking, we're just killing each other, and it causes great confusion. Even they also turned to be with the Israelites who were with Saul and Jonathan. And likewise, when all the men of Israel who had hidden themselves in the hill country of Ephraim heard that the Philistines were fleeing, they too followed hard after them in the battle. So the Lord saved Israel that day, and the battle passed beyond, beyond Beth-Avim. Last thing we see, godly leaders, they see where God is moving, and they join him there. So everybody from the, the deserters to the scaredy cats to Saul and his dudes all together are saying, God's moving over there. The Philistines, they're falling to pieces. God obviously has given them into our hands. Let's join God. Let's join God. And Saul <laughs> screws up again in that he was almost obedient and then he bails because he's like, ah, what do I do? Do we do these rituals that God says, this is how it's done? Or do I just run again, showing the pattern? You can do the right things the wrong way. And Saul, he's joining. God, don't miss this for some of us. He's joining into the battle where God is moving. He's saying, I'm going to go to him. You can get excited about God's plan for your life, but you've got to get right with God before you do. Saul has got an opportunity to finally take that first step of obedience. And, and if you're hanging out in the church, you're hearing sermons, and you're saying, sounds like good things are happening. I want to I do what God wants me to do. If you don't submit first and say, you know what, first things first, Jesus, I need you to be Lord. Then you can jump into all the excitement and be spiritually dead. Because all the excitement in the world can't transpose itself onto your own soul you got to start that relationship with him. But everyone's jumping on the bandwagon. You see, this is what Jesus shows us in his ministry. This is why I love the Gospel of John. Um, it, is, it is probably my favorite book because you see John, the one who knows Jesus the most, he gives us perspective of how Jesus only does what the Father does. Matter of fact, if you look at John chapter 5, some of my favorite verses in Jesus' ministry, and I'll paraphrase it, in John 19, Jesus says that the Son only does what he sees the Father doing. And then he says, whatever the Father does, the Son does. Jesus didn't just come to earth and say, you know what? I'm man, but I'm also God. I'm going to do my own thing. No, he submitted every step of the way. I only do what the Father wants me to do. I'm going to go left if the Father says go left. I'm going to go right. I'm, I'm only going to do what the Father is doing. Where the Father's working, that's where I'm working. That's where I am going. And so if you find yourself here at cross training saying, you know what? Man, I haven't, I haven't been engaged in God's plan. I don't care about making disciples, and I'm just trying to get him to, to bless my own thing. I'm sitting over in the cave like Saul without much faith, just trying to get God to, to bless my thing. There's hope. He's saying, obey me. Come to me. Submit to me. For others, you might say, you know what, I've been doing like most of the things I know I should be doing. I think this is what it looks like to be a Christian, but you've, you've missed out on the main thing. And you see that Saul and Jonathan are both leaders. And on paper, they both look like leaders, but one of them got it right. One of them had faith and lived for the glory of God, while the other one, at best, kept the herd together. At best. At worst, was just a horrible leader. 
paper. They look similar. But God says, one of them pleased me, one of them didn't. There's still hope for you. I had this, this past weekend, I had um, a wedding in Abilene outside, 4 o'clock. It was about 160 million degrees outside. And uh, I think God was prepping me for today, actually. But um, I had practiced pronouncing the name of the couple a lot. The last name was Bolden No, but it's spelled Bold E N O W. So it sounds like Bolden Now. Uh, half a dozen times in premarital counseling, I said, How do you say it again? It, and he'd say, It's Bold No. Not now. No, not now. No, not now. He'd say that over to me. No, not now. It's no, not now. It's no, not now. Even the day of the wedding, we're walk, we're, I'm praying over him. I'm like, hey, man, what's <laughs> one last time? What is it? Like, <laughs> like we're talking like five minutes before the ceremony. Like, it's no, not now. It's no, not now. So I get up there, and it is hot. It's so hot. People, everyone's in the sun. People got umbrellas at this wedding. It ain't no rain in sight. Just trying to get some shade. It's just stinking hot. And I'm sweating like a dog up there. I got my shirt's too tight, my tie. I'm just sweating. My beard has got like just so much beautiful gunk in it. It's just just saturated with sweat. And finally, I'll tell you what, as far as wedding ceremonies go, I was rocking it. (laughs) I'll just be honest. It was pretty good. I was getting amens from the bride. I was like, this is what I'm talking about. It's hot. And the bride's amening. It's hard to get an amen from a wedding sermon but I was getting a couple and then I got to the very end and I was like oh let's finish this out strong this is good and I had like just one thought one insecure thought of like oh gosh I'm about to pronounce them don't screw this up at this exact moment this like horsefly sits on my face like right above my brow and I smacked him off and he comes around my ear and I smacked him off and he comes around and he's just like for five seconds he's just all over my face would not get off my face my mic I had issues with the mic it's like just sitting on my ear so I couldn't move and it's just on my stinking face this thing was big and it was just on my face and I, I, I was just irritated and so I rushed through it and I said and I pronounced you for the very first time so I wanted to pronounce you Mr. and Mrs. Boldenow and I was like oh my god in my mind I was just like cursing I was like oh you gotta be kidding me you got one job to do <laughs> one job to do Ryan like, what is their option? They can either change their name or change their preacher. Like, there's, what, what do they do? So I pronounced them the wrong name, and people clapped anyway, and they walked down, and I, I made a joke to the people. I said, I promise I pronounced that, or I, I practiced that a whole bunch and whatever, and it was over. I jumped in my car, drove home, and <laughs> I took a picture with them afterwards, had my arms around them. I was like, sorry about your name. You know, like, <laughs> they just smile, like, thanks for doing our wedding. You know, was, uh, okay, see you guys. And, and that was it. Um, and I think that could be the case with a lot of us. 90% of things in our walk with Christ seem to be going well, but when it comes to proclaiming his name well, we're struggling. And uh, he wants you to know he's working all around you. He's given you relationships. He's given you access into people's lives that no one else in this room has. And you don't have to be insecure about the old devil sidetracking you. He'll give you the words to say. If you, if you say, I, I want God to make an impact in your kingdom, he'll give you the words to say. And you will proclaim his name exactly like he wants you to do it. Where's God working? 
Sometimes, sometimes you've got to realize and humble yourself that you've made some bad choices in life. And your pride has made you stay in those bad choices, just riding it out. You could argue <laughs> with some of the things happening in our public schools and funding that our government in the state of Kansas is in that predicament right now. Shouldn't have th- and I could talk about that. Anyway, we won't get into that. But sometimes your bad decisions make you stay in place as you ride it out with your pride. Even in ministry, you start ministries, you start ministering to a person, uh, you start uh, an entire ministry, and you find yourself, God's just not in this. You've got to humble yourself and say, I've got to align myself with where he is working, even if it makes me look like a fool. That's the kind of workers God wants in his kingdom. Those who are willing to leave their own thing for the sake of his kingdom. And you will see much fruit in it. It might feel like a rebuke, but God getting your attention tonight uh, is his grace and his mercy. And he wants to expand his kingdom. So let's pray.